0: Matilda by Roald Dahl, adaptation of the musical from Broadway and the West End that has recently been made into a movie and came out on Netflix in the USA on Christmas of 2022. So today I want to talk about Matilda. Matilda. I actually did an episode about the musical a long time ago. might have been even the first episode I put out, one of the first, Um, back when I was doing more things about musicals, um, which I still love and might do more of. But today I want to talk about the new movie adaptation of the musical, the Broadway musical that I talked about. And so this just came out a couple, as I'm recording this, yesterday on Christmas, in the U.S., uh, Matilda came out on Netflix. And it is a movie adaptation of the Broadway musical, music by Tim Minchin. And I want to talk about it because I had a really good time and it was fabulous. So the basic story of Matilda is a little girl who is born into a family of abusive parents. Um, and is a genius. And then she goes to a school with an abusive headmistress principal of the school. And. She funnels her anger. And her genius into telekinetic powers. And uses her powers. To fight. The good fight. Fight back. Against her abusers and oppressors. And. Saves the school. And when her parents run off. She ends up staying with Miss Honey. And life is better. So. It's a very, very brief outline. But it's a uh, children's story that was written by Roald Dahl. I don't know when. um, But I really loved the book growing up. And I really liked the adaptation from the 90s. That was a lot of fun as well. And then I loved the Broadway musical when it came out. And I have been so excited about this movie version. So overall thoughts. And warning big time that I'm, as usual, This is a spoiler content podcast. I will be talking about the whole movie and songs and everything. So stop now if that's not what you want. Um, So my overall takeaway is I really enjoyed the movie. I thought they did a beautiful job with it. A lot of the musical numbers were so well done. And I'll go through like individually like I usually do. But um, right now, just broad overview. I loved a lot of that. Visually, I thought it was really good. There are a few missteps visually, and again, I will talk about them as we go through, kind of scene by scene. But I really overall thought it was fantastic. They cut a couple of songs um, that I'm kind of sad about. They cut um, Miss Honey's big song, Pathetic, which I think is a really good song, so that's sad. They cut You Gotta Be Loud. Um, which is Mrs. Wormwood's big song, which also I think is a really great song, so that's kind of sad. And they cut Telly, which is Mr. Wormwood's song, which also is a great song, but I kind of that one I really get because it it doesn't really add to the plot at all. It's more just part of the staging of the stage show and I could see why that one would be hard to put into more of a movie version, that it doesn't quite fit in the in the way that they're doing this and you got to be loud. I think they kind of had to cut because they cut the whole, they cut Rodolfo. They cut the whole side story about Mrs. Wormwood being, um, a, you know, a competitive salsa dancer. So they cut all that stuff out. So loud doesn't make sense in this new context. So again, that also makes sense. I suppose that it's gone, but it's sad to me. Um, but pathetic, honestly, they, they use the word pathetic for Miss Honey a bunch. They like nod to the fact that she has this song. They just don't use it. And I find that very strange. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why pathetic is gone. I definitely think that it should be there. And I, yeah, that's the one of those three songs that I am the most sad is gone. Because it it, does, it doesn't make sense to me that there's like a it, I don't feel like there's a reason to have gotten rid of that song. I think it would have worked still. Um, like I mean, I assume that there's a specific time limit. The movie's it looks like an hour and fifty six minutes, so maybe they wanted to specifically keep it under two hours. But the song's not that long. I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. But that's the song that I'm kind of sad about. On the other side of it, they did add a new song to the show which is how they end the movie with holding my hand and i have mixed feelings about that song i will say that i've watched it a couple times now and i was very not a fan of it the first time i heard it but i am the type of person that you listen to the music more and it kind of grows on you now that you know it and i i do think that i liked it better the second time i heard it and so on so i think it's growing on me this new song I don't think it's horrible. I, even the first time, I don't. I never thought it was horrible. Like how could they? I just wasn't sure about it. Um, but we'll get there when we talk about the ending specifically. I've got some. I've got a few little minor picks here and there, including with the ending, um, that we'll talk about. But overall, my overall review is that it was fabulous, and everybody should watch it. And it's. Was a really good, I think, faithful adaptation of the Broadway musical version of this story. (laughs) Meaning, like, the book doesn't have the whole escapologist and acrobat thing, you know, that was added for the play. The librarian having such a specific role was added for the play, or for the Broadway, West End, whatever. The musical version... So the story was definitely changed as like an adaptation. The the Broadway musical was different than the book in a few specific ways. And um, even though it was pretty faithful overall to a lot of things that happened in the book, there were some things that were added, like the salsa dancing, like the Mrs. Phelps, the librarian and the story about the acrobat and all of this. So um, there were definitely things added, and, but I think that they work in the Broadway version and the movie is very very faithful to that version of the story. So, let's get into it. All right. So, the movie begins the same way that the Broadway musical begins. Which is with My Mummy Says I'm a Miracle. One look at my face and is plain to see. Ever since the day Doc chopped the umbilical cord. It's been clear there's no peer for a miracle like me. It's a fabulous song. Um, it's very cute how they did it. The singing is not as good. In the Broadway musical version, it's a, you know, children's birthday party is how they start. And they do this song with kind of bratty kids singing it. In this version, it's literal babies singing, quote unquote, the song. And it I don't know. It has a slightly different effect. I, I like it. It's cute. But I think it works better with bratty little kids, honestly, because the whole point is like, look at these bratty little kids being told that they're beautiful and the best and magical. Like it takes some of the bite out of it, I think, to have babies singing the song, because of course, everybody thinks babies are the be- cutest and whatever. And also, like, it changes the lyrics a little bit because it's just like, isn't this baby cuter? As opposed to, like, in the Broadway musical, there's a the lyrics of, like, the parents singing about the kids, like, isn't this child smarter than the norm? And look, the child got a C on their report. That they've got to change their school. The teacher's clearly falling short. And it, there's just some more, like, biting commentary about, like, parenting and parents always thinking that they're their little bratty child is perfect that like is i think lost having the song be about actual babies as opposed to small children i don't know that just could be a personal take on it but like i don't know it just feels a little sweeter and more wholesome almost in this version as opposed to the kind of sarcastic tint i really think it has in the more in the broadway version i think it's more sarcastic on the, on the other side, like visually again, I love it. I love how bright and colorful everything is in the hospital when they're singing this song and the music is very, like the choreographing of the children and the parents running around and everything is gorgeous. Love it. Love like the 80s hair and makeup that's going on. It's all fabulous. I just, I do think that it's a little less sarcastic in this version and that makes me sad because I love the sarcasm. All right, in the so, in the part of this song, we see the doctor and Mrs. Wormwood and how she's nine months pregnant, and they again they sort of cut this down because she has this whole moment in the Broadway version about her being uh having needing to go to the salsa dance and all of this, but it you know she it's just very quick, like, oh no, she's pregnant, she's having a baby. We have the doctor singing about how every life is a miracle. Again, I love this part of the song, how every life is unbelievably unlikely. The chances of existence, almost infinitely small. The most common thing in life is life. And yet every single one is a miracle. I, this song is just beautiful. And I really enjoy how they do that here where they have him, like suddenly the doctors in like this ridiculous, I don't know, tiger striped suit. And there's, a glittery chorus behind him singing this whole thing while Mrs. Wormwood is giving birth. And I think, you know, again, it matches up very well with what happened in the Broadway show where she's kind of behind the screen giving birth while he's doing this whole song. And it's fabulous. And then, you know, Matilda's there and wrapped up in a blanket and the baby's singing. It's a miracle. And then we have Mr. Wormwood show up and it's the same gag that they use in the Broadway show where he thinks that he's having a boy. Um, he changes the the lines are a little different because he's talking about the balloon and everything. Um, it's again, a little chopped down. The scene is longer on the Broadway show. They do that a lot when they turn it into movies, you lose things. And I think that's what's happening here. This whole scene is very kind of feels very kind of choppy to me. Like you don't get as much information and it's not as long, not as much dialogue and stuff as what you get in the Broadway version. But they do do the thing where the Wormwoods are singing about how horrible this is while everybody else is singing about how much this is a miracle to show that kind of the difference in them and how awful they are. And uh, then it goes into this over the top musical thing where they're like all on the where everybody's dancing around in this big yellow, like I assume birthday cake or something um, and singing about how babies are miracles and little kids are miracles and blah, blah, blah. And it's. It's beautiful. I mean, overall, again, you've heard my... I have critiques, obviously. But overall, I think it's really well done. And this is kind of over the opening credits and things. And to start out the, start out the movie, and it like kind of goes to... says, Matilda the musical. And I do think it's fabulous. And then we cut to Matilda's part of the song, where she's saying... Instead of My Mommy Says I'm a Miracle... It's her mommy and daddy saying that she's a bore and a waste of time and should learn to cu- shut my pie hole. No one likes a smart mouth girl like me, all that kind of stuff. Um, all the horrible things her parents say to her as again, this specific dichotomy to everybody else who's singing about my mom. Mommy says I'm a miracle. So that is very much the same. Now, what is a little different here? Is that we cut down to her like on a, what looks to be some sort of trailer, um, like a mobile home, not not a mobile home, like an RV. Um, she's on the roof of it, laying there, like reading a book while she sings this. And then um, a woman comes up to tell her it's time to go. And you realize it looks like it's some sort of mobile library that is a little bit different um, in the Broadway version. It's definitely a library. Mrs. Phelps runs the local library that she's going to, but there's no indication that it's, like, some sort of mobile library. I'm not really sure why they decided to change it to mobile library unless they just thought that, like, having the library park in different places was more visually dynamic, maybe? I'm not sure. Like, I am not 100% clear on why we changed it to a visiting mobile library as opposed to just a regular library, or if that really serves any sort of narrative purpose per se um but that's what it is then um she comes home with her books from the library and we get another little change that again feels weird to me i'm not sure why they did it um in the book and in the broadway version other versions of it It's just either Matilda asks her parents to send her to school or it's just time for her to go to school. Um, Sometimes what's his face? Mr. Wormwood, her dad meets the Trunchbull by selling her a car. And, you know, therefore learns about this school and decides to send her there. But it's always just, you know, it's just, this is now the time when school is starting. And instead they have this weird thing where, Somebody, the school inspector, they call him, comes to school, comes to their house with Miss Miss Honey for some reason. So just a random school teacher with him, with the school inspector, comes to, like, ask the parents why they haven't sent the child to school. And she they get fined for some reason for not sending her. I don't know anything about the British school system at all. So I don't know if I have anybody listening from England. Tell me if this scene is at all realistic with, with the way your system works. Um, as somebody who works in the public school system in America, this makes no sense to me. This is not how that would work. Um, the idea that like public officials, government officials would come to your home if you don't send your kid to, you know, school right away is just kind of mind boggling. That's definitely not how the system works. Um, I don't know the exact analogous age ranges, because you do have to go to school theoretically in America, but homeschooling is very much allowed and most and very state to state. But most states, there is very little regulation on what you have to do to count as homeschool. So as long as you like say you're homeschooling or whatever, for the most part, you're home free in most areas and you're not going to have government officials coming in and like saying you have to send your child to school or finding you for not sending your child to school or any of that. So all of it just seems a little odd to me. Um, Especially when we find out here that it's two weeks, like, into, I assume, kindergarten, first grade. Again, I'm not sure what, like, the first age is that kids go to school in England. Um, In in America, it's kindergarten at five. Um, And that's, in the state I live in, not even compulsory. So you don't get in trouble if you don't send your kid to kindergarten. They don't have to go to school until first grade, which is six-year-olds. So that is when you have to send them or theoretically do something. But like I said, homeschooling is very loose and parents can kind of do whatever they want um, with very little government intervention in that sense. So anyway, I would be interested again, if I have anybody who um, listens from England and knows if their system is like this, where if you don't send your kid to school, like within two weeks of when they should go, somebody's like knocking on your door and fining you for not sending your kid to school, because that is kind of mind-blowing to me. I'll be honest. Um... But anyway, they add this scene in, which, again, is not part of, I don't believe, any other adaptation that I've seen. I don't think it's part of the initial original novel. I It's kind of an odd scene. I'm not really sure why they added this in. As, again, I don't know that it adds anything. Because I was talking about in my intro, like, they cut three songs that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, they've cut other aspects of the show and then they add this scene that I don't think adds anything. And it just kind of seems like a waste of time to me. I don't quite get why this scene is here. This is one of my nitpicks of like, why is the school inspector here? Why are we finding the parents and saying they have to send her to school when like the story works just fine. When, if they just like let her go to school or just have her start because he met the dad met the trench bowl and decided that this would be a good place for her because she's mean or whatever, which is kind of the implications in other adaptations and other times. So it just seems very strange to me. And again, I don't know the legalities in England. So maybe this makes perfect sense and wrap in, you know, works with their laws and the way that their system works, but it doesn't make any sense to me as an American. So I'll put that out there. I don't know what's going on with the scene. Um, But it is just a way that we get to meet Miss Honey, I suppose. But I, I again, I don't know why we couldn't just meet her someplace else or like when she goes to school or I don't know. And the school inspector is there and we never see that guy again. It never comes up again. Like it just seems like, I don't know, forcing her to go to school because the inspector came just seems very, very strange to me. I think I've talked around it plenty, but. That's where I'm at with it. I don't understand what's happening here. Also, I guess I would just add that why is Miss Honey participating in forcing kids to come to Crunchum Hall when she knows how horrible it is? She's like telling Matilda it's all going to be good and her class is so much fun and that's nice and all, but the school is horrible and they're getting abused by the headmistress. So I don't know. It just it doesn't make any sense to me that Miss Honey is part of this situation at all of like trying to get truant children to come to school. I don't know. Do your local school teachers take part in that? That doesn't make any sense. Anyway. Anyway, in this version, Mr. Wormwood, her dad, is very, very mad that he's getting fined because he didn't send her to school and he specifically calls up the headmistress in like retaliation against her to tell her that like the, the, that his daughter matilda is horrible and you know to be harsh on her or whatever um again there's no reason to add this scene to do that like because he does that in the other versions just because he sold her a car or whatever because he just knows her knows the trench ball. Through sales. So, yeah, I don't know. Don't get it. But then we get into a great song. The Jack and Jill Go Up the Hill song. And I really love this song. The It leads into... uh, Sometimes you have to be a little bit naughty. And how you have to change your story. I really love the Romeo and Juliet verse where... She says that love and fate and a touch of stupidity would rob them of their hope of living happily, which is just a great sum of that play in general. I'm not a big fan of Romeo and Juliet, but I think that that, that kind of summary of it is hilarious. So during this version, it's similar ish to what they have Matilda do in the stage play um, where she is sneaking into her parents' bathroom in this version, they up the stakes, I guess, a little bit. They have her jumping on the bed and making noise and her dad notices and is coming up to check on her. And so when she sneaks into the bathroom and messes with his hair tonic and puts bleach in it, she, he is like right behind her and she has to sneak out the window and ends up on the roof and then sliding in through like the a window into her room. And it's kind of a skylight because she lives up in the attic. The song is still fabulous. This version is a little over the top, I think, with her like sneaking on the wall and onto the roof and whatever. But other than that, I think it works-ish. I do really like the view of the parents' bedroom and bathroom and how gaudy and ridiculous it is. So that's nice. But, like, Matilda hanging onto the trellis outside the bathroom and singing and then climbing up to the roof. I don't know. It's just a little much, I'll be honest. I don't think there's any reason why she couldn't have just snuck in the dark. Again, except for they thought that it was visually cool to see her up on the roof. Because they have her strike her specific pose that she always does on stage on the roof with, like, the sun setting behind her. That's, I mean, it's cool, whatever. Whatever. It is visually a cool scene, I suppose. I just don't know. I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me why they're doing it. She's like walking on her hands on the roof. And it looks real weird and fake. I don't know. I don't think it's done well. But they do get her to do her like traditional pose. that's on like the musical thing where she has her hands on her hips. And fists. And then there's light behind her. So they get that part out of it. I don't know. Anyway, she ends up sneaking back into her room without getting caught and pretending to be asleep before her dad comes in to yell at her and we see the dad with the green hair which is right from the show, the play it's a great song it's fine, it works the next morning Matilda's eating her cornflakes and the dad is going off to work with his green hair and the mom doesn't get that he didn't do it on purpose and it's a whole weird thing and then Matilda somehow has her school uniform and everything all ready to go already. And is off to school. She knows where to go apparently because she's walking by herself to the school. And she's super all duper excited and she gets there an hour before school starts apparently. Which seems weird to me. I don't understand why her parents are up that early because it seems like they wouldn't be early morning people. But whatever. But she gets there too early. The school's all locked up. But luckily, Mrs. Phelps comes along in the mobile library to talk to her. And we get the first part of Matilda's story. There's another slight difference. I don't know if most people would even really call this a difference, but I consider it one a little bit, is that this seems to be the first time she's telling Mrs. Phelps a story in this version. In the Broadway version, it's very clear that Mrs. Phelps is asking for a story because Matilda tells stories a lot, like... That's one of her creative outlets. She likes to make up and tell stories, and Mrs. Phelps loves her stories. So the idea that this is a brand new thing for them is, which is kind of how the implication of this, it's a little odd to me. I don't know why they would make that change, but it does seem like that change was made. Anyway, then Matilda starts telling her story about the escapologist and the acrobat... Um, So the escape artist in more American English, but escapologist. Um, So this is hearkening back to, they did do this and I kind of, I think must've glossed over it that um, her parents had a fight way at the beginning where the dad was saying that you got, that his, that Mrs. Wormwood got him into all sorts of debt. And so she must think he's an escapologist to be able to get out of all of this. And she says she's an acrobat because microwave dinners don't microwave themselves. Um, and so the implication as you're watching it the first time is that she's kind of taking these things that happen in her life and putting them into the story that she's making up. Um, so she's talking about the escapologist and the acrobat, how they fall in love and get married, but they're very, very sad because they don't have a child. And so that makes them do more and more daring feats because there's nothing else for them to do. And they're just very sad that they don't have... A child. And so they decide that they're going to do the most dangerous thing ever. And it's the burning woman hurling through the air with dynamite in her hair. Over sharks and spiky objects. Caught by the man locked in the cage. And, you know, it's the most dangerous feat in the world ever, ever, ever. Um, so Matilda's just telling this story and it just seems like this crazy over the top story, but we will find out that it is true eventually. Um, so this was something that was added for the Broadway show that is not necessarily in the book where she's got these like stories coming to her, but it's kind of this idea that I think we're just adding on to her sort of mind magic. So she's got kind of the telekinesis in the original story. And this one, she's got that as well as sort of these mind reading almost where she's like learning she's getting these stories of real life coming to her anyway anyway that's where the story ends for now we will get more pieces of the story when she sees mrs phelps around and that's the end of the story for now because she has time to school she has to run off and go and so she runs off and goes to school and we get our next song which is a great one it's um the abc's song where she's going we also meet lavender who's her going to be her best friend and lavender's newt which she already has in her pocket that's another kind of change because lavender just finds the newt for this and other versions this one like the newt is her pet that she's had from day one so the newt will come up later but i don't know that's another little interesting thing where lavender just already has the newt But anyway, we have this song starting. And I I think one of the things I do not like about this is that because she's not starting with everybody, there's not a whole group. Her whole class isn't starting and scared. It's just her and Lavender, which I assume they did so that there's less new kids to, like, talk about or talk to through this scene. But... I don't know, it doesn't work as well especially the beginning so it starts with so you think you can survive this place by being a prince or a princess. It doesn't really work with just her and lavender there in my opinion because in the Broadway version we've got like the entire class of kids or at least four kit four or five kids or something like all walking up to the gate and scared for their first day of school and they kind of repeat the beginning song about my mommy says I'm a miracle. My daddy says, I'm a special little guy. I am a princess and I am a prince. You know, they're like singing that part. And that's why that leads into this song, which is what makes sense of the beginning of that song. So you think you can survive this place by being a prince or a princess. When they sing that at these two kids who haven't said anything yet, I don't know, it just doesn't make as much sense to me as a start to the song. But in any case, the song itself is fabulous and it's basically the same song as from the Broadway show. But we've got the whole school sings to them at first, then we've got the prefects showing them around the school. And they are, they have like, all the classrooms are lettered A, B, C, D, E, so they're going through them as they do the letters of the ABC song. And it works really well. And them running through the whole school and like showing it very closely. Again, I think it works really well. I like visually how this works for them to go all to these different places. Although there's some weird like closets and things that I'm like, this is a strange place for them to be showing the kids. Necessarily, but whatever. It's a good scene overall. I like it except for those little things at the beginning that I don't like that they changed having all those kids and like getting into the song by having the kids sing that. But again, it doesn't make sense for just Lavender to be singing that because Matilda wouldn't be singing those things. So when they changed it, so now not all it's not the first day of school with all those kids, it kind of doesn't work as well for me. Because now they're singing it to just Lavender and Matilda. So I don't know. Anyway, then they then the Trench comes over the thing and says they have to run to class real quick, and so it's all chaotic. Kids are all running to get to class really quick, and Matilda and Lavender don't know where to go, and Miss Honey has to reach out and get them. And that's the end of that song. And everybody else is already in class, so... And Miss Honey tries to make them not be so scared... They changed this a little bit as well in that instead of having Miss Honey give an intro to everybody, again, it's only Lavender and Matilda who are here for the first time. Everybody else has been here for a couple weeks, but it's very lucky. There just happened to be two empty desks and every other desk is full and there's two empty desks together for Matilda and Lavender. And now the classroom is completely full. So there's no more room for new kids. So hopefully no more new kids show up apparently. (laughs) Anyway. In this version, Nigel is freaking out, which is something they do in the Broadway version, but not in this exact same way. He's like saying that he can read. Um, they have her Matilda like read words on the board instead. In this version, there was apparently like an adult class doing advanced maths over the night before and they didn't erase the board. So she tells Matilda to go polish, polish it off, is how they say it. I don't know if that's how they say erase the blackboard in England. But um, also, no, I don't think classrooms in America have blackboards anymore. Do they still have blackboards in England? Or is this like supposed to be kind of older? I don't know. It might just be older because nobody has cell phones or anything, it doesn't seem like. So this might just be a bit of a timepiece. But in any case, Matilda is up there and instead of erasing the board... She is doing this high level math and seems to be doing it correctly, which is when Miss Honey then asks her about reading books and other things. And Matilda says that she reads she's read all these books this week and it's kind of a ridiculous list um, of really long and adult books that she ends with the cat in the hat, which is funny. And it's it's the joke from the Broadway show as well. And then that the end. scene ends, which is also how it ends in the Broadway show. So that works. I think that this scene is successful. Um, You know, the Broadway version is slightly different, but having her do hard, advanced math on the board as a way to start this conversation, as opposed to her, like, knowing her times tables, which is how they do it, I think, in the Broadway version, I think, or... It might just be reading those sentence or something. I'm unclear, but uh, it's a little different here. But it works just fine to have this conversation, and I still enjoy the joke of her saying "and the cat in the hat" at the end of this long list of ridiculous books. All right, then we cut to Miss Honey going up to see the Trunchbull, the headmistress, and this is where her song um, "Pathetic" is cut. She just has a little moment where she says, don't be pathetic and then knocks on the door. And I was expecting her song and I was sad that it didn't happen because I think that there was a potential for her to have this song, sing this song in the like crazy stairway they have there. It could have been really cool, but of course she did not. And so she just knocks right on the door and we go right into the Trench Bull's office. Missed opportunity in my opinion, because I like that song and it would have been fun. But we go into a very similar scene to what would have been in the play. with Except for here, it's very obvious the Trench Bowl has all these like TV screens all over her office. And it's clear that she has, I suppose, um, surveillance basically all over the school. She's watching everyone. Always watching them. So Miss Honey is trying to talk the Trench Bowl into leave. You know, putting Matilda in a higher grade level because Matilda's a genius. And she says Matilda should go right to the top form. The 11-year-olds apparently are the oldest kids in this school. And Trunchbull says, no, she's a gangster. Um, And also, you know, there's rules. And that's what gets her into her song, which is a great song. I'm glad they kept it. Um, But she starts with an exception to the rules in my school, basically. How dare you? And she has her whole song about how she used to throw the hammer in the Olympics. And she makes all the kids sing on the uh, surveillance screen. And then they do this big flag dance out front. I think that this scene is hilarious and I love how they do it and how they kind of exaggerate it again doesn't make any sense that the entire school has like a choreographed flag routine to this song already no but i love it and it's fabulous so i forgive it (laughs) but this is the whole thing is like did i do anything different when i you know When, if you want to throw the hammer for your country, you've got to stay inside the circle all the time. And if you want to make the team, you don't need happiness or self-esteem. You just need to keep your feet inside the line. So it's all about, it doesn't matter whether you're happy. You don't need to be good, nice to children. You just need to teach them to follow the rules and keep their feet inside the line. And I don't know. I think this song is hilarious. I'm really I really like it. I'm glad they kept it. It's all good. And I really enjoy the choreographed number with flags that the children all do out in front of the school. So, fabulous. Love it so much. This is also where you learn the school motto about children are maggots, but in Latin. And uh they use that as to be part of like babinatum est magitum I think um as part of like their choral piece like the kids are all singing like a very formal like choral thing to this and it works really well (laughs) (laughs) but essentially the takeaway from this song is that no Matilda will not be moving into a higher grade level and she tells Miss Honey to get out And she is now thinking that Wormwood is a problem that she needs to deal with. So Matilda comes home and her parents are awful as usual. Her mother is in a ridiculous jumpsuit and I love it so much. Their house is so pink and gaudy and I also love it so much. It is fabulous. But that jumpsuit her mom is wearing in this scene, I just cannot get over. So this is where we get the sort of plot of her father is a used car salesman, because of course he is, and um, he is going to try to sell this man who came in, Uh, he says that this guy who's buying from him is very stupid, and so he's going to take, you know, basically sell he says he's going to take the front half of one car and the back half of another and put them together and sell it as a luxury car. And uh, Matilda says that that's wrong, that's lying, that's cheating. And so in retaliation, he tears up her book, The Grapes of Wrath. And uh, he at first has a really hard time, which is also a gag that they use in the Broadway show, where he, like, is trying to, tear the book all at once and it's not working until he finally realizes to open and like tear out the pages individually and uh, same as the play the mom is really into it and like egging him on and so that happens Matilda picks up all the pieces goes to get some glue to try and glue her book back together we get a reprise of her Sometimes you have to be a little bit naughty thing again. And that is when she realizes another thing she can do for her dad. She is going to put glue in his hat and super glue his hat to his head. So that'll be fun. Which is definitely the gag they do in the Broadway show as well, where now Mr. Wormwood has to wear his hat and is wearing his hat constantly through the rest of the show until until he she finally like he finally does the right thing and then the hat comes off so kind of karma so she puts glue on the rim of his hat and then he puts it on his head and we will see that it got stuck there later then she gets to school and they're all comparing stories about how awful, you know, awful things the trenchbull has done they seem a little outlandish even for this and this is where we get the idea of telekinesis, only he calls it telekinesis, which is definitely the better way to pronounce it. Telekinesis is perfect. Um, obviously, he doesn't have it, the little boy who's talking about it. Um, but they're talking about outlandish things that the Trench Bull has done, like turning kids inside out and throwing them out windows and things. And some of it, obviously, like turning the child inside out, and it seems um, unlikely. But some of it, like him throwing somebody out a window, seems like it probably could have happened. So we'll see. They're but they are all just comparing these outlandish stories, and then we learn about the chokey. They do the little like chokey song slash chant thing, and it's directly like what they do in the show, except for we've got all the kids like all over this jungle gym and doing it, and. It is very successful. I like it. It works. And then we've got the Nigel thing where he comes running out and he needs to be hidden. And Matilda shows her smarts by having him hide under all their jackets. And then telling the Trench bowl that he has narcolepsy. But again, they cut the scene even just a little bit to where it doesn't make as much sense. Because in the Broadway version, she has basically the exact same thing. Only at the end she says... When he wakes up, he'll probably think he's home in bed. Um, And that's what like triggers Nigel to like go, oh, mom, you'll never believe blah, blah, blah. And then wake up. Like, because I don't get why in this version, Nigel just kind of randomly does it. But before she like cues him the way she does in the show. So it doesn't, again, make as much sense to me. I don't know why they needed to cut like one more line and it would have worked perfectly. Just the way it did in the stage play. I just. I, I, I don't understand why they cut that one line. That makes this make more sense. In my opinion. I don't know. I just don't see Nigel as being sort of. Sharp or clever enough. To like have gotten the ruse. Like that. Without her. Without Matilda cueing him the way she does in the show. Like that it's time to wake up. But we don't have time to think about that too much because we're moving right on to the Amanda thing. Where Amanda Thrip, Thorpe, something like that, is the one who has her braided pigtails. And it's this is from the book in every adaptation where the Trench Bull doesn't like pigtails. And so she picks her up and throws her by her pigtails over the fence. And uh, the effect here is kind of... Um, I feel like the effect in the 90s movie was kind of better. So I don't know why the effect is so bad. But whatever. It's the same gag that is in all of them where she's fine. And then this is where the Trench Bull meets Matilda kind of for the first time. And uh, has her little thing about... I think the line that they add because they want to give the Trenchable more to do in this version because of the actress who's great, but I don't know. It's this whole she has this whole thing where they, where it's so great because you want to, you know, I love troublemakers cause I love to make them snap. Alright, then we cut to, we're back to Matilda's story. She's talking with um, Mrs. Phelps at the library again. That it's the day of the big acrobatic show that everybody's coming and felt like the whole world was there and then the um, escapologist comes out and says that the feat has been cancelled. Cancelled because his wife is Pregnant! And then there's silence, and then there's all this cheering. And everybody is super happy about it. Except for her evil stepsister. Who wants, who comes out with the contract and says that rules rule and you have to do it, you know, you have to follow the contract. And so this trip, this will happen And you're going to do the trick today, or you're going to both going to go to jail because I've got my contract. (laughs) And uh, again, this sort of mirrors what the trench will just said. So it's kind of feeding off this idea that she's making of this story based on what is happening in her life. Though, again, we will find out that that is not exactly true. And we go with kind of, again, the same gag that we're getting from the play version. Where Mrs. Phelps is really into the story and wants more of it. Matilda says she can't, doesn't know what's happening next because she just gets them and, and here she's calling them in fizzes. And, uh, so she doesn't know what's happening next until she like kind of learns the next part. Um, which is part of our, kind of our hint that Matilda's not writing this story. She's just being given this story. And also this thing where she keeps lying to Mrs. Phelps about how her parents are so great and their mom loves her so much. um, When obviously that is not the case. Then she gets home that night and her mom and dad are fighting with the hat. And that's really, you don't get much more than that. Like in the play version, there is a little bit more put on to the fact that the dad can't get his hat off. But here that's, I think, really kind of all we get is them just fighting over the hat in the background while she's drawing. Which is kind of weird. And I also don't get why she's like drawing out. It's the acrobat and the escapologist that she's drawing. And then like she draws their daughter and then like scratches her out. It's kind of weird. I'm not really sure what they're getting at with that. Then cut two. she's at the school lunchroom and they get a big bowl of uh, it looks like cream of wheat maybe. It's basically slop. They get a big bowl of white-ish beigey slop. It's like a beautiful lunch and then that's when Miss Honey comes in and says that you know I haven't been successful in doing anything like getting you into a better class so instead I'm going to bring you your own books um, and this is and then you're going to read them yourself and I'll try to help if you have any questions and you're going to do that while I teach the rest of the class and how does that sound and that is exactly what happens in the play except for I don't know why they're doing it in the lunchroom, except for that they're in the lunchroom for the next scene. And I guess that's why they're doing that here. But like, again, it doesn't make much sense for Miss Honey to do this in front of the whole school when and not in the privacy of her own classroom where what happens next maybe wouldn't have happened. Where the Trench walks in and sees them hugging and like turns it into this whole thing. Like, if you had just done that in the privacy of your classroom, maybe you would have been a little bit safer. I don't know. But anyway, Miss Trenchbull then comes in. And is all mad about that. And also about the fact that she has lost a piece of cake. And she blames Matilda. She says Matilda is the one who has eaten her cake. When Matilda obviously is not. And instead it is Bruce. Again they cut some stuff. Because in the play version there's a lot of like people sort of talking to the audience. This happens multiple times where they break the fourth wall and talk to the audience. That they have so far cut all of that out of the movie. Which I don't know how I feel about that. Breaking the fourth wall I do think works better in a play than it does on a movie screen. So I don't know how I would have felt about it if they had done it differently here. But I think that the way they did it in the play where they had Bruce actually talk about the fact that he's the one who ate the cake and about the burp and how it was the biggest burp that had ever happened and people could hear it forever. And it was so, like, works, like, him talking about it and, like, his script about the burp is so much better than the way they do it in the movie here, where it's like a visible cloud of gas that they add in post production. Um, that when Bruce just burps and it comes towards the trench bowl and she then like smells it like a lizard. I don't know. It's very gross. I, Emma Thompson doing that with her tongue, I don't know. Gross. Um, but I don't know. I miss Bruce Bogtrotter being able to like. I wish I wish they'd kept some of the fourth wall breaking and people monologuing to the audience. Lavender has a one later that they also cut, which makes me very sad. Um, but then we see that even the adults are scared of Trench Bull because she dismisses, dismisses the staff and they all run away real quick. And then she runs over to see Bruce. And talk to him about the fact that he ate the cake. And this part, the dialogue is, I think, almost exactly what's what's from the Broadway show. And then they get into the song, which I think is a great song. Um, And one of my favorite things about it is it's the, I think, the only Broadway song I am aware of that has a Doctor Who reference. Because we talk about a TARDIS. I think the song, the line is, that your largeness is a bit like a TARDIS, considerably roomier inside such a great line um so yes the trench bowl is forcing him to eat a chocolate cake and there's a whole song where the school is all egging him on to eat his cake and so there's a whole song about bruce eating his cake and whatever and it's a great song again they um do so here's where like breaking the fourth wall, I think works in the way that this is very surreal in that, like they go into this musical number and all the kids are now in like sparkly outfits and it's very clear. They're not really here. I don't know. I feel like you could have done something with that to keep the surrealist aspect of somebody talking to the audience and breaking the fourth wall. And, uh, Bruce being able to do his little monologue about his burp would have been fun. I wish it was there. Whatever that, Um, but the song other than that is really good and I really like the way that they have it like transition into the kids all singing around him and Bruce eating his cake. Yeah, the scene is pretty successful. Um, the one thing I don't like visually about this, because I think the movie visually is really good and the rest of this dancing and singing is fantastic, but visually... Especially um, at the beginning before they get into the sparkly outfits. All the kids are like just sitting still in front of the, when the trench was looking at them. And when her back's turned, they're all doing their dancing. Which I think is a really cool effect. The way that they all like sit still as soon as the trench looks at them. But behind her back, they're dancing like crazy. I think that's funny. But the one thing I do not like visually that they do here is at the very end, Bruce's last bite is a cherry. And he throws it up and it's doing the thing where it's floating up in the air and it's coming down to his face. And, um, the whole thing disappears with the stem. The stem clearly is supposed to be like cutting away, but it like just disappears. So either he ate the stem, which is gross, or like it just, I don't know, the stem just disappears and it visually just is kind of disturbing to me. I don't understand what happened. I feel like that was a mistake. In the editing, and they should have they should have done something different with that. I don't like it. But where they're all in the sparkly jackets, and the kids are all like doing this big dance number around him, is fabulous. I love it. And the way that Matilda's the only one still in her normal outfit, Matilda and Bruce are the only ones there. Everybody else is in these sparkly uniforms. Um, makes me think that it's kind of in Matilda's head this is what's happening. I don't know, maybe. But uh yeah, I really like this scene other than the weird cherry situation. I think it works really well. Love it. Um but this does bring me to one other thing about Bruce that bothers me just a little bit is that this the Bruce Bogtrotter is supposed to be sort of a fat kid. He's a bigger child who stole the cake. They usually have a larger child playing this role. Um, And that's part of, like, the lyrics in the song. They talk about his immense caboose. And his largeness is a bit like a TARDIS. Considerably roomier inside. Um, In this version, it's obviously a very skinny child. That they have some obvious, like, padding put into his sweater. Um and what i mean by obvious is like his arms and legs are very skinny and his face is skinny and then he's got this ridiculous like looks like a pillow in his sweater i don't understand why that choice was made um either you know don't go into the fat part and just have a skinny kid that's fine or like get a large child they they exist the idea that you'd pick a small child and then put a freaking pillow in his vet in his sweater on like a A movie of this scale with this kind of money behind it, like everything else is so good. And then they put like a pillow in his sweater to make him a fat kid. I don't understand that choice at all. It really visually bothers me throughout the entire movie that this child is wearing such a poorly done like fat suit. Basically, I don't understand why that choice was made at all. Very, very crazy to me. Um, and then they also increase this scene afterwards of Matilda fighting with the trench bowl because after her, Bruce eats his cake, it's supposed to be done. Um, but then she says, no, we're going to take Bruce to the Chokey anyway. And um, in the play, after she drags him off stage is when Matilda just like, that's not fair. And in this one, she actually like fights in front of the trench bowl, which doesn't make any sense to me. Because why does the Trench not take her to the Chokey too, like, or instead, or, like, just her open rebellion? In this version, I don't understand why the Trench bull is so willing to just let it go. Very weird to me. It doesn't, it doesn't cognitively make as much sense as the original version. In my opinion. But Then we move on to a scene that I'm so happy about. It's when I grow up. I love this song. I love the way they do it in the Broadway show with the swings and everything. And um, they do something very different here, but it's all the kids like going home from school with their parents. And so Lavender's with walking with her mom to start the song. And then one of the other kids is on his bike with his dad liking behind him. And then there's um, Amanda, with the pigtails is on like some sort of commuter bus with her mom and another. And I think Nigel's in the bus too. And anyway, the lyrics are fabulous of this song. When I grow up, it's like, when I grow up, I will go to bed late every night and I will wake up when the sun comes up and I will watch cartoons until my eyes go square and I won't care. Cause I'll be all grown up or like I, I will be able to reach the branches that you need to reach to climb the trees you get to climb when you're grown up. Or I will be brave enough to fight the monsters that you get to fight beneath the bed each night to be a grown up. Those sorts of lines. And it's just so great. And I will be strong enough to carry all the heavy things you have to haul around with you when you're grown up or to be a grown up or something. Anyway, it's all those kinds of lines of these like ridiculous things. I'll play with things that mums pretend that mums don't think are fun. There's just so many fabulous lines and I love this. I love this song so much. It might be my favorite song of the whole show. Um, in the Broadway version, I it's right in the middle of the show. It's either, either the last thing in the first act or the first thing in the second act. I forget now. Um, but it's like the middle of the show. So I kind of knew this was middle of the movie-ish. Um, but the way they did this, I really love how it starts out with the kids just like going home from school doing things. And then it changes so that, you know, the kid who's on a bike ends up on a motorcycle and the kid who's on the bus ends up driving the bus, like becoming like, they're still all obvi- the, they're still the same kids, but now they're like flying fighter jets and riding motorcycles and stuff. And be, and it's really great. I love it a lot. It feels very short to me. I would have to compare to the Broadway version, but I feel like they cut this song too. I feel like it's much shorter than the Broadway version is like, cause they turned it into this huge dance number and this big thing. And I feel like we still got the sense of the song, but I feel like it was a lot shorter and I felt a little short changed in it. I'll be honest, but the version is still really great. I just wish it was longer, (laughs) but it ends the same way it does in the Broadway version. And I do think now that I'm thinking about it, that this is the end of act one. Um, because we come back with Telly for Act Two, but anyway, so the, I think this is the like end of Act One thing where and it, the song ends with Miss Honey and Matilda sort of doing their little duet. Not to, they're not actually together, but they're kind of singing simultaneously. And it's Miss Honey is still doing the When I Grow Up thing, and Matilda is doing a reprise of her song about. Just because you find that life's not fair, it doesn't mean you just have to grin and bear it. And, you know. So she's saying, Matilda's saying that that's not right. And so she needs to make things right. And that's how the first act ends of the play. But here we go straight into her coming to Mrs. Phelps' library and saying, where's the revenge section? which is a joke from the play and I'm glad they kept it. I like it. Um, What we're missing here is telly, which is how you come back into the play for act two in the Broadway version. Like I said, this song, it makes a lot of sense to me that it's gone. I don't see how it would fit. Although I do wish they had actually made a version of that song and put in the credits or something. Like I feel like they should have at least, done the songs that they cut and put them in the credits like they i've seen them do that in other versions and it kind of makes me sad that they didn't do anything like that because i think like telly specifically could have been a fabulous song to do as sort of a i don't know like in the credits sort of moment yeah i think i think telly specifically could have been great for that um Or like as a cutscene, something, I don't know, extra somewhere. Online extra, an extra on Netflix or something. I don't know, but I think it could have been great and I'm sad they didn't do it. (laughs) So anyway, I understand why Telly's not in the movie. I'm not actually mad about it, but I do think that that song is fantastic. And I'm sad overall that it is gone. So there we are. Anyway, back to what's actually happening in this movie instead of what's not. Uh, Matilda goes to the library and wants to know where the revenge section is and Mrs. Phelps says they don't have a revenge section and asks if she's okay and if she's being bullied and saying that she should tell the headmistress if she is and uh, that obviously won't work because Matilda is currently being bullied by the headmistress so not a solution that's actually going to be helpful for Matilda in this particular situation and to distract Mrs. Phelps she then decides to continue with her story about the acrobat and the escapologist. So she talks about the fact that they are going forward with their death defying act, um, because they have to, because of the evil stepsister and how the, w- the wife, the acrobat gives her husband, her white scarf for luck. And they go forward with the act so they go forward, they do the whole feat and um, they do the whole dramatic effect thing that they do from Broadway where she's doing the countdown and all of that because he has 12 seconds to get done and how he catches her and then her hand but you know they get jostled from the dynamite and her hand slips and he drops her And, you know, this is something that we kind of see in puppet form, but don't really see in the play, obviously. So there's much more going on here in a movie. Um, It's also a little, I don't know, different watching it this way that we see him sort of drop her. And um, this is where they pull in the they do a close up on his hand and her hand like slipping, which is very similar to Matilda's hand and Bruce's hand on that scene that they added here um, after the Bruce song. So I guess that's visually why they wanted to put that in there so that they could have. So they could have that sort of visual symmetry of the situation, but um, because in the. In the play, they talk about that he used some sort of um, foam, like a fire extinguisher to douse the flame. Um, And that's what made their hands slippery and why he dropped her. In this version, instead, they had the plan was to throw the dynamite into the air, into the crowd. That seems like a dumb plan. Um, but he throws the dynamite and then the dynamite goes off and like messes and like hits their cage and which makes his hand slip. I don't know. I, again, I don't know why they made that change other than they thought it was cool to have an explosion, but like, it makes no sense to throw a freaking thing of dynamite in a crowded like circus tent. Why are you throwing dynamite, sir? Why are you not just putting out the fire so the dynamite doesn't explode at all? It doesn't make any sense but the end result is that he drops her, which is the same thing that happens in the play. And they do the same thing where she breaks every bone in her body, except for the little bones on the ends of her little fingers. And then the acrobat lives just long enough to give birth to the child and then dies. And it's very, very sad. And then things get worse, which is also a line directly from the play. So, saying that the escape artist, the um, was so kind that he didn't blame the sister for causing the death of his wife, and so he invites her to move in and help him take care of his newborn daughter. And... And they... Um, and that she was very mean to her. The aunt was very mean to the daughter. And... You know, it was abusive towards her. And uh, gets very worked up, and they bring this whole thing where then Mrs. Phillips is like, we should call the police, and Matilda has to say, this is just a story. Again, directly from, from the play. So that's as far as she gets into the story for now. And then we have another thing where Matilda's lying about her parents being so proud of her and liking her. And then she goes home and sees her parents are very happy because they have all sorts of money suddenly. And the mom says, it's like winning the lottery, which is the exact same thing that Mrs. Phelps had just said. That having a daughter like Matilda would be and it's extra hurtful for Matilda because of that. And then we find out that um, Mr. Wormwood has sold a bunch of um, bad cars to some group of muscly men and has made a lot of money. And Matilda again is saying that that's not right. That's not fair. You cheated them. Blah, blah, blah. That throws her dad into a rage. And he says that he's going to go to the library and tell Mrs. Phelps never to let Matilda go to the library again and throws her into a room and calls her a nasty little creep. Which is what kind of throws Matilda into this state where she tells the end of the story to just us in the audience, not Mrs. Phelps. Where she has the aunt screaming basically the same stuff her father just said, throws her into a dark, dusty cellar and went out. And then the escapologist comes home early and finds his daughter like that. And that is how he learns what has been happening to her. And we get our next song, which is a really good one, but it makes me cry. It's so sad where he is apologizing to his daughter for not being there, for not realizing what was happening and saying that I'm here now and I'm going to protect you. And then it's a duet with Matilda eventually where she like is singing another they do that a bunch here where he's singing one line. He sings one melody. She sings a different melody and then they sing them together and it works beautifully. And I love it. It's so pretty, but so sad. And so Matilda's sort of singing the line that belongs to his daughter, essentially. Where like, she's calling him daddy and like kind of inhabiting the daughter in the escapologist's home really. So he carries her upstairs. They do this whole song. It's beautiful and sad and crying worthy. And then he thinks about it a little bit more and realizes, you know, is thinking about what the aunt has done and decides that like says, you know, if bullying children is her game, let's see what she does to a full grown man. And she runs off and he goes off to find her. And he never comes home again. And it's very, very sad. And it's very heavily implied and almost confirmed that the aunt kills him. And then, so she then gets guardianship of the little girl as her only living relative. And is super cruel to her and continues to abuse her. So it's a very tragic story for this little girl whose parents have both essentially been murdered by the aunt at this point, and now she's being abused by the same woman who killed her parents. Very, very dark for a children's story, you must say. But here it is again, where they cut the line, where it says, bullying children is her game, is it? And he just runs off. Instead of his finishing the line of, let's see what she can do with a full-grown man, the might of a full-grown man is before her, or something along those lines. Um... Why did they cut that line? I mean, I guess you don't 100% need it because it still makes sense without it. But I think it works so well. I don't get why they cut it and just said bullying children is her game, is it? And have him rush out with just that. I don't know. It just seems like a silly thing to cut. Um, the thing that they add here instead is more of that sort of magic. The Matilda in her anger has crunched up her little wastebasket trash can in her room without really realizing it. And then she's just kind of scared. The next day she goes to school and because she fought or said no and tried to help Bruce, everybody's thinking that she's a hero and she gets candy and a sandwich and a pencil. And people are just, all the kids are just giving her stuff and like, she's their hero. She doesn't really understand what's going on until Lavender explains it to her. That everybody loves her and thinks she's the hero. Which I don't really think happens. Not to this extent. They do, like, it's a little bit there, but, like, Lavender's just like, she's my best friend. When everybody's like, wow, I think everybody just kind of gives her a wow, not like this presence thing. I don't know but it gives a it's something for the Trench Bull to notice and see so that she can come and be very upset and do her next thing which is the next song where she's going to take them all to Fizz Ed and she's in the same weird little like outfit that she wears in the play where she's got like almost a German lederhosen feel over her sweater so that they're going to go do phys ed and again this is a fabulous song I highly enjoy it again she has them change into their gym gear and says change along the way just so that they can have the gag of the kids like I guess changing in the hallway but I don't I don't know I do it doesn't really add anything for me that she's making them change in the hallway I don't know if that's supposed to be just funny or what but I feel like you could have just done a cut of them all now being in their gym clothes and there we go. Of something, But she starts her song and it's about them being revolting. Um, and visually again, and this is pretty cool now that they're all in their gym clothes. It's raining and pouring outside and she makes them go run in the rain and she has them run through the woods and in the mud and all this before then they end up at a... Uh, like, ropes course, challenge course thing that she's going to make them all do. And her whole song is about how, you know, this is how you squash them, like, they'll be too tired to revolt if, you know, if you do that. So. The funniest part of the song is its whole, like, thing is her, like, discipline song and they're all, like, working out to it and everything and it's very good. And then she goes into this weird place where she's like, imagine a world with no children. Close your eyes and just dream. And it's a completely different, like, tone of song. And she's talking about a cottage and a burbling stream and horses. And it's like... There's, it goes randomly, and in this version, it has her go into this weird like, she has long curly hair and she's flowers in a white flowing dress on a swing. And then you go back, cut back to the real world where she's on like the tire swing, going, Nay, Nay, because the song, the lyrics are like, Don't let them steal your horses, don't let them take them away. It's completely ridiculous. And Nigel then says, you're mad, she's mad. Which is exactly what happens in the play, which cuts off into their next section of like, there, I found it, I found the rebellion. So, the Trench will thinks she is very much winning here, and so she goes up onto this huge game board, like a football game board thing to put... Agatha, 1,000, maggots, 0. And finishes her song up there. Now, this is the part where the newt gets into her drinking water, which is in the book and all the adaptations and everything. But here, Lavender just kind of runs and does it behind her back. But everybody sees her do it, um, which is different. Except for the trench bowl, obviously. But also, this is another place where in the play... Lavender gets to come out and have a little monologue where she tells the audience about how she's going to do this. Um, and it's really funny and I think would have been really cool. But they cut that from here. But um, the Trench Bull freaks out about the newt and her water and all of that. Um, then we also up the Matilda's sort of magical powers in the play. And in the book, it's very minimal. Like, literally, the cup tips over. That's what she's able to do with her Um But instead, here, the cup, like, literally flies 10 feet through the air to hit her on the head. Um, so, and they and then a couple of next scenes is the same thing they did with the nineties movie adaptation. They like to up her magical abilities from what the book said and from what the Broadway show did, where she has pretty, she has magical abilities, but they're limited here. She's much more magical. Um, but before the cup hits the trench bowl, there's another really fun song of, of quiet where, um, Whereas the trench ball is coming to come get her and screaming at her, everything goes silent. And um in the play, everybody's just kind of like screaming in the background while but silently while the song is happening. And Matilda is singing by herself. And that's basically what's happening here is the trench will still storming at her and screaming, but you can't hear what she's saying because Matilda's singing. And um talking about her magical powers essentially so in the play this would be the first time her magical powers are even showing up which is not true here so i mean i love this song still and the way it does it is beautiful but the fact that she's already had her magical powers kind of happen and we've seen them a couple times now like she made the doors wiggle she has crunched her trash can She's played with her hat. I think that's already happened or maybe not. That maybe hasn't happened yet. I think lessens the impact a little bit. Um, but this song is about her getting her powers and like being in her head and being finally being quiet with all, all this weird input coming in. And, uh, and then she's suddenly like out of where she is and she's up in a hammock in a hot air balloon above the clouds, just quiet and alone and in the eye of the storm. And I do love this song and the way they did it. This thing of her up in the clouds. And she's suddenly in blue, not her white um, gym outfit that she was wearing and before. It is a very pretty image. I think these images were part of what was used in the um, trailer or some of the sail images or whatever. Um, and it's obviously like in her head sort of situation, which they've done a few times already. Very dreamlike. I don't know. I still love this song and I think it's pretty, but I'm not sure that I'm sold on why she is in a hammock. I don't know. Maybe it's fine. I am not sure how I feel about it, but I do think that the fact that this is not the first time she's using her magical powers feels weird with this song. It kind of lessens the impact of this song to me. Though I do think it's interesting that she's looking down from the hammock at herself being yelled at by the trench bowl is an interesting thing. Like that she's like in above it all in this, hot air balloon but looking down and seeing herself still there so kind of having an out of body experience that's that works actually really well for this song i don't know i still love this song and it's very pretty all the blue and stuff that they have up on the hot air balloon very nice but this is where matilda uses her powers intentionally for the first time so that does count for something and like I said, instead of just having the cup tip over, which is what it happens in the original and in the the book and the play, instead this time the cup sails ten feet across, hits her in the back of the head, and then the newt goes down her shirt, which is what happens—the newt getting into her shirt and going down—and she then has like the weird dance. There's some. There's a newt in my clothing, and she's supposed to scream. There's a newt. There's a newt in my knickers. But instead she just says, it's in my knickers. It's in my knickers in this version. And only very, very quietly. Like, I don't think I would have heard her say it. Except for that I always watch it with closed captions. And in the closed captions, I see her saying, I've got a newt in my knickers. as she runs away. But I don't know that I would have really heard it otherwise. Like, the fact that when she's screaming loudly, it's just, it's in my knickers. as Instead of, there's a newt in my knickers. Seems like a lost opportunity because the line is there's a Newton in my knickers is obviously a much better line. I believe. So that's a little sad and disappointing, but otherwise it's, it's a well done scene. I like it. So once the Trench Bull runs away with the Newton in her knickers, um, Miss Honey tells everybody to go back to class. And Matilda stays behind to show Miss Honey what she's learned to do. She puts the cup back up and then uses her magical powers to shake the cup and then have it tip over, or actually have it fly up and around to show what she did. And Miss Honey is obviously, for very obvious reasons, shocked. Shocked, I tell you. And then they use the line that is directly from the play. I moved it with my eyes am I strange? Um, which is a great line. And Miss Honey answers the same way she does in the play of fancy a cup of tea, which is a very British thing to say. I think in some a situation like that, a child just has telekinesis and moves things with her mind and asks you if that makes her strange. And your answer is mm, you want a cup of tea. Um, and then they leave the school together, which again, I mean, she just left her class alone. Because in the play, she sends the kids home for the day after this PE experience. Here, she tells them all to go back to class, and then she and Matilda walk off into the rain. Um, I'm going to assume that we missed this thing where she went back and talked to her class, or it's the end of the school day or something. But that seems like a misstep, that she told the kids to go back to class, and then she and Matilda left campus. I mean, Matilda's back in her regular uniform now, not in her gym clothes, so I guess time has passed. But... It just seems weird to me. I'm not, a, I, I don't get quite what the timeline is there. Either way, she and Matilda go off to her little cabin, really more of a shed. And Matilda has her famous line of like, do they pay teachers badly? And Matilda's saying, well, yes, they do, but I'm poorer than most teachers. And she explains that um, her aunt is making her payback all the expenses that she had as a child. So the aunt raised her. And then when she got a job, she presented her with a bill of all that she had to pay back. And made her sign a contract promising to pay it. And so with how much she was taking, this is explained more in the book and other adaptations, I think with, with how much it's not really explained here, but with how much that her aunt was taking from her, she was forced to continue living with her aunt because she couldn't afford to live on her own, which is kind of part of the point. And um, that's how she was out and she found this little shed and she convinced the farmer to let her live there for almost nothing. And that is why she's living in this shed is because it's the only thing she can afford with the small amount of money she's able to keep from her paycheck. Which is her small little disobedience because the, her aunt wanted her to just stay with her. I keep slipping and almost calling her the trench bowl because we know that's who the aunt is. But um, we'll get to that very, very soon. Um, and here we get her calling herself pathetic again. So that word pathetic keeps coming up. They've used it a couple times, but they didn't let her sing her pathetic song. I'm very sad. Anyway, we're getting into this next song about her little, about her cottage about her cottage isn't much but it is enough for me it's such a beautiful song i really like miss honey's little song here about her little house says this roof keeps me dry when the rain falls this door helps me keep the cold at bay on this floor i can stand on my own two feet It's a very sweet song, and the way they have her sing it in this little shed with Matilda works really well in this adaptation. I like it. And as her song is sort of tapering down a little bit, we see her grab the white scarf, and this is our moment, that you know that that is the scarf that the acrobat had and gave to the escapologist, and then the escapologist gave to his daughter, and we get little flashbacks to the two of them. Seeing Matilda notice that this is what this scarf is, and that's where Matilda's realizing that Miss Honey is the acrobat and escapologist's daughter. And you go back to the scene of the father, escapologist, running down into the cellar, and where the first time you saw the scene, it was Matilda there, um, choking up because this scene makes me cry. Um, Miss Honey's still singing over this as he runs down and finds his daughter, and it's a little Miss Honey. Um, in the cellar now and he's carrying her up the stairs as opposed to the Matilda that he declared carried up the first time we saw this scene. And it's like Miss Honey's remembering this happening the last time she ever saw her father and she's crying and she's singing and it's just so beautiful And it's a beautiful emotional moment that we don't get to live in very long because it's very quickly. Matilda's like, your father was the escapologist and your mother was an acrobat. And like, Miss Honey's like, how do you know this? And Matilda's very intense saying that they were your parents, this people in my story and blah, blah, blah. And she doesn't really explain it to Miss Honey what's going on. And then she's asking, who's your aunt? Who is this person? And she clarifies it's her step aunt. Miss Trunchbull, which I think they added the step part in the movie. I don't know that that was in the play and I'm assuming it's just to make the difference because Miss Honey is black and Miss Trunchbull is white. Though you could have a white person be the aunt of a black person, so I don't know. Whatever. Um, they make a big deal about her being the step-aunt and I'm assuming it's because of that racial difference. Um, but then... So Matilda's figured this out and she kind of just freaks Miss Honey out and then runs away into the rain. And they add this scene in as well. This didn't happen in any other version. Um, Matilda runs out to the Chokey and destroys it with her powers. Um, which, again, with all the other things that they keep cutting, I don't know that we need this. Like, why does Matilda need to destroy the Chokey? It doesn't change anything about anything, in my opinion. Because like, the scenes that happen next, whether the Chokey still exists or not, doesn't matter. Also, in this version, the Chokey is like a standalone structure out in the woods behind the school. I suppose just so that Matilda can destroy it like that, because otherwise it makes no sense for it to be so far away from the school. It's supposed to be like in a closet in the Trench office or near the office, like in the school. So that's kind of weird to me. But whatever. Matilda does it. She destroys the Chokey. And she runs home and finds her parents packing. So this is something that obviously does happen in other versions and everything that her parents are running away. But um, we are changing the timeline a bit because this usually happens in the play. This is happens more at the very end. It doesn't it's not happening yet. Um, But we're finding out that the people that her father sold all those junker cars to that he lied about are part of the mafia and so they all, we are leaving for Spain, and we're leaving tomorrow, because they gave me 24 hours to pay them back, and um, somebody already spent the money, meeting his wife. Um, and so he says, and we're leaving tomorrow, so go pack your bags. And Matilda runs up to her room and cries. Again, I don't understand why they changed the timeline on this, because this is supposed to be happening completely separate. Like this is supposed to happen later, a little bit farther down the road. Um, And putting it here before what happens next. I don't know if it's just supposed to make her more angry or more ready to do whatever she needs to do tomorrow at school. Um, But I don't know. It's just it's strange to me that we've changed the order that these things are happening in. Um, But anyway, they did that. So then she goes by the library and Mrs. Phelps has put a sign out for her that um, she's at a book fair instead of at the library today and so matilda leaves her little note and the grapes of wrath that she's glued back together and it turns out no we haven't had the scene where she plays with her hat because that is happening now as she's walking to school she's using her telekinesis, as the little kid would call it to mess with her hat and have it fly around so she's practicing on her way to school also, with this change of stuff of them going to Spain, why did they let her even go to school at all? Like, that seems very thoughtful for them to let her go to school and say goodbye. Why didn't they just keep her home and, like, all go to Spain? It doesn't make any sense, this change of order of events. Whatever. So Matilda makes it to school and she finds everybody staring at the jungle gym has been destroyed. And then the trench Bull says that you break my toys, I break yours. Uh, making it clear that because the chokey had been destroyed, that's why she destroyed this, the playground. And then she tells Miss Honey's class to come to the cafeteria, but she calls it something else, whatever. Whatever the British people apparently call the cafeteria. Um, And it's all like this construction area with the desks and chairs there. So the kids all get into their desks. And Miss Trunchbull is in the front and she's all dirty and looks a little crazy. And she set up this whole room for them, apparently. Again, I don't know how she knows Matilda did it, unless she has surveillance at the Chokey. But even there, does she believe that Matilda has magical powers? Because Matilda just stood there and stared at the Chokey while it disappeared. So I'm not sure why she decided that it's them that's causing the problem, but whatever. Um... I'm trying to remember why she does this in the play. Like, I think she just comes in to be a bully and comes into the room for them. But she does the same thing here where she comes in to do a spelling test. And if you get any answers wrong, you go to the chokey, And that's where, and then, you know, they have Matilda scream at her that she can't do that. And Miss Trenchpool says that, no, there. I've made a new Chokey, so it's all fine. And then she yells at one kid to do it, and he gets the word right. And another kid, Amanda, gets the word right. So then they have to go to Lavender's, I think, third child she chooses and gives her a really gives her a non-word to have to spell. It's like 10 syllables long. Um, basically giving her an impossible task and says that there's a silent V in it. I think in the play she says there's a silent Z. So they changed the letter for some reason. I don't know. Um, but either way, it leads to the same thing that happens in both versions, where the kids start screaming, basically, you can't put us all in Choky, and they all start spelling words wrong in like solidarity with lavender getting that word wrong that word in quotes because it was not a real word and then basically the same thing that happens in the play happens here too where miss trunchbull says i've got i've been busy i've made chokies for all of you so you can't put us all in chokie miss yes i can i've got chokies for all of you um And in the play, there's just like lights that fall up here. But here they actually have it. See, she like presses a button and all these curtains fall down. And we see that she has created a bunch of chokies all around the cafeteria for her to put the kids in. The other thing we really are seeing here and in the. um, The phys ed thing is that Bruce has been completely broken by her. Um, because he's the only child that doesn't partake in the screaming thing about the uh, spelling match, spelling test. And he he's like her goon and helping her in the phys ed thing. Which I think they don't really play up in the play or anywhere else that Bruce has been completely broken to her side, like they do in this version. And I don't love it. I feel kind of bad that we see Bruce has been completely broken down. Because I mean the trench was awful, but we and she's abusive, obviously, but the idea that she has completely broken his spirit is very sad to me. I don't like it, and Here we get to Matilda's big magical power moment because we see all the chokies, and everybody looks around and is shocked, but before she can put any of the kids in the chokies. The chalk starts going on the whiteboard or the chalkboard that she has put up in her fake classroom in the in the uh, cafeteria, and it is clear that Matilda's controlling the chalk, and she says, "You know, this is Magnus. Give my Jenny back her house." And they do the same thing that they have they do in the Broadway show where the chalk is writing this and the kids are. All reading it out loud in unison. And it's the same threats. And if you don't give her back her house and get out, I will get you like you got me. And the trench ball is very scared, but she pushes down the blackboard and is all screaming and mad. And this is where we add something that is obviously not in the book or in the Broadway show, where we amp up the magical powers. There's a bunch of chains hanging around from her setup here that the Trench Bull has put together and Matilda grabs them all together and turns them into a giant version of Magnus, the escapologist. And um, like she, it's very clear that it's the shape of his like outfit with the big collar and stuff and the chains, she uses them to sort of break all the chokies and trying to scare Trump the trench bowl. And it's kind of successful. But then the trench pulls on the chains and is able to pull them all down and saying that I'm not going anywhere, I still win. Which is when, now this is another thing that of course doesn't happen in the play or any other version that I've, I'm aware of. She has, Matilda uses her magical powers to make the Trench Bull have big pigtail braids like Amanda. Who, when she did the whole, and then she is basically the same thing that she did to Amanda earlier. Happens to her, she's thrown around by the braids and thrown out through the roof. And importantly she drops her like sound system microphone that she has for the whole school while she does that and she's thrown out through the roof matilda runs after her and stops from killing her basically because she's like running headfirst to the ground and matilda makes it stop so just her keys fall out of her pocket miss honey has run over and grabs the keys and then Matilda drops her, but just like a foot. So she just just kind of drop to the ground softly. She's not actually hurt. And Miss Honey is now taking her stand and says, this is my school now. Run. Which is fabulous. And apparently that was enough that the Trunchbull is scared. And so she just runs away. And for some reason, there's a crow that follows after her. And then we get into the next song, which is fabulous. And it's Bruce coming back into his own. He has picked up the Trunchbull's mic and he starts singing over the PA system for the whole school. And we see some of the kids in the older classes like Notice. And it's the revolting children's song. And this is the same thing that would happen in the play where Bruce is the one who sings the song or gets the big solo part in it. And it's a, such a sweet song. It's like never again will I be bullied, and never again will I doubt it when my mummy says I'm a miracle. Bring him back that miracle thing again. And there's this beautiful song. It's like we're revolting children living in revolting times, and they're like having a revolt over the whole school. And all the older kids come out to join them during this song, and they're re- they're dancing and revolting, quote unquote, throughout the whole school and out into the yard, and the whole school is having this big dance to it. And it's beautiful, and it's a big cathartic moment, and I love it. It's also beautiful. There's all sorts of gymnastics and great dancing and kids all over the school. It's beautiful. It's fabulous. I love it. And Lavender gets her newt back, which is actually important in this version because that was, like, her pet this whole time. So when she used it for the thing against the trench bowl, she lost her pet, which makes it a little difference, which I honestly don't like as much. I kind of wish. You know, that's part of why it was weirder than it was just not a random nude she found that it was her pet that why would she give it to the trench bowl but anyway it's a beautiful scene it's great it's magical but then it's sort of ruined because the wormwoods show up matilda's parents because they've changed the timing of this they're like all right let's go come on we gotta get the plane And they explain it and I mean the nice thing is we see the whole school reacts like no Matilda you can't go and it's kind of this found family moment of like Matilda obviously doesn't have a family who loves her but she's got this school family that does and it's very sweet in that sense. But it also like I don't understand why they've added this to this moment. But we then do have her dad playing with his hat again and still trying to get it off and not being able to. Um, so in the play version and other versions I've seen, it just happens a little bit later. I think like it just happens after this whole thing happens, like in the play, it's very clearly like, and that's how the story ends. You know, we got rid of, Mat- we got rid of the Trunchbull and she was never seen again. And Mat- Miss Honey got to move into her house and blah, blah, blah. Um, But Matilda was still with her awful parents and things were still bad for Matilda at home. And that's just how it is sometimes. And then it kind of, and, and then the her family comes into the library and uh, we get the whole like mafia showing up and Matilda saves them and blah, blah, blah. And then Matilda gets to stay with Miss Honey. But this is all done at like a jump f- forward kind of moment. Not like right after the trench ball leaves. That also means we get a little bit more closure and that we get again, people talking to the audience and telling us that like, and the trench bull was never seen in town again, or whatever. Um, as opposed to this version, we're just supposed to, I guess, accept that, and the trench Bull has gone now. Um, but it just is moving things along a little quicker, I suppose, because now Miss Honey is able to take, you know, to say that she'll take Matilda, and it's in front of all the kids from the whole school watching this happen. But the same thing that kind of happens at the very end when the dad says that that Matilda can stay with um, Miss Honey. Once he agrees to it, the hat is finally able to come off. Although this one, we actually see Matilda kind of using her magic to take the hat off. And in the Broadway show, it's just... He is finally able to, like, he's saying goodbye and his hat just kind of pops off and he's like, oh, cool, great. But it's the same implication that because he was good, his Matilda fixed the hat for him. And he was able to take it off. Either way, her parents are off and she gets to live with Miss Honey, which is the same way that it always ends, this story. Um... And then we get into the new song that was not part of the Broadway show that they've created to end the show, or to end the movie, where Miss Honey is singing about how she was always sh- she didn't think that she'd ever find a way out that life was so horrible. Um, I couldn't see beyond the clouds that swirled around me, but now the sky was so blue, and you're there holding my hand. And it turns into a duet between Miss Honey and Matilda singing about how the world is so much better now, basically, that you're here holding my hand. It's a very pretty song. Like I said at the beginning when I was talking about this in general, like, I didn't love it the first time. I will admit now that it is a pretty song. I don't have a problem with it per se. I'm just not sure that I love it, is where I'm at with it. But there's a big hug and then we get to see kind of scenes of things happening while they're singing the song of Matilda s- still sitting on the roof of the little mobile library with Mrs. Phelps, obviously telling her stories. Um, and she's wearing like normal clothes, not her school uniform anymore. So that's fun. And these are happy stories because Ms. Phelps is celebrating and then it's Matilda going to, Um, going to Miss Honey's new home which was the Trench Bulls home for a while and which was the Acrobats and the Escapologists' home before that. And then it gets a little bit more up-tempo more Major Key and it's the whole school being redone and it's being renamed the Big Friendly School instead of Crunchum Hall and we see everybody running around in new uniforms that are lighter and less constricting less formal there's bright colors all over the school things have been painted yellow all over the place um and kids are running happily into the headmistress offices which is now miss honey's office which they explain more explicitly in the play and stuff that she becomes the headmistress um and then for some reason there's a circus out on the front lawn of the school like with rides and stuff And I'm not sure I'm, I am unclear on whether this whole circus thing is part of the whole like dream thing that Matilda was having, or whether this is real that they really put a freaking circus in the schoolyard, that it doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to just go with that everybody's so happy it might as well be a carnival. And it's kind of part of the dream sequence because also they have a giraffe. So this has to be a dream sequence, right? So we're ending, and then there's hot air balloons, so that's part of her thing before. So I'm going with that this is, that, you know, the bright colors in the school and the change of uniforms is real, and the circus theme is in Matilda's head. And it ends with Matilda doing some more cartwheels, which seems to be a theme. Um, and her and Miss Honey are up on the roof of, like, this little cart thing that they were painting. I'm not sure why they have it. it's not really explained. It looks like it's part of one of those carnival trains like from uh, Dumbo or whatever, the Casey Jr track kind of train. and they're both laying there and they're holding hands and smiling as they look up at the sky. So kind of like it starts with Matilda on the roof of the little library thing like that alone and it ends with her with Miss Honey so they' are together. which is nice thematically. It's pretty. But I do kind of miss the talk over of the explicit explanations that the wall was gone for good, that Miss Honey became the head mistress, that the school was the happiest place ever. And that Miss Honey and Matilda were very happy together. Um, the other thing that I miss from that voiceover, basically at the end that we don't get in the movie is something that they get rid of in the 94 version, but is in the original book and is in the Broadway version. That Matilda is supposed to be happier and more challenged by her studies, and therefore she loses her powers. Her powers are only there because of how A, she is so sort of underutilizing her brain, and B, how just strong her anger and emotional state is. And now that she's happy and more, um, challenged and taken care of she loses that ability and Matilda says it's because she doesn't really need it anymore and that is something that's in the book and the Broadway version and in this version it doesn't explicitly say she still has powers but it doesn't explicitly say she lost them either so I I don't love that I really for some for me at least I really it's important to me that her powers go away at the end. That's something that always bothers me about the 90s movie. And I love that movie. It's great. But at the end, when she still has her powers, I don't like that. I specifically, I really like the explanation that it like, okay, and her powers are gone now. They were for a time and she doesn't need them anymore. So they're gone now. Um, I don't know. For whatever reason, that really resonates with me. I really like that. Um... So I don't like that they leave her powers intact in the 94 version very explicitly. Or I don't know if it's 94, but the 90s version. Um, very explicitly, her powers are still there. Um, in the Broadway version, I'm pretty sure they say at the end that she loses her powers because she doesn't need them anymore. Um, and in this version, it doesn't say one way or the other. So we don't know whether she still has her powers. I'm going with that she doesn't, but I'm kind of sad that they don't explain that at all. But that is how the movie ends with the new song and the um, circus and everything in the schoolyard. It's very pretty. I like it. Like I said, I just wish that they had been explicit about her magical powers, whether they're staying and about sort of that the Trunchbull's gone and Miss Honey gets to be headmistress. They kind of imply all of it, but they don't explicitly say it the way they do in the play. Which is part of the whole thing of their not breaking the fourth wall the way they did in the, in the Broadway version. And I don't know. Maybe I would have hated it if they broke the fourth wall in the movie. Because it doesn't always work as well in movies as it does in plays, in my opinion. But I do kind of miss it. So there's that. Um, the other big change that is in the movie from the play and from the original book um, that I haven't talked about at all is that Matilda has a brother in the book and in the play and in the 90s movie. Um michael i think his name is um she's got a brother she's got an older brother um and they obviously cut him from this movie the brother is, does not exist um he doesn't play a big role it's not that big a deal so it's fine that he's gone i suppose but i just thought i should mention that i hadn't even talked about the fact that oh by the way her brother's gone they completely cut him from the story which tells you how important a character he actually was i suppose but he's long gone So that is the whole movie. I really loved it. I might be hard to tell from listening to this. I tend to get critical and I like to critique things and I very much enjoy critiquing things. Um, So just because I'm critiquing, it doesn't mean that it's bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But they're just things that I don't particularly enjoy and I like to point them out. So those are the things that I have a problem with. I, you know, you've heard them at this point, if you're still here and have made it this far. But overall, I think the movie is fantastic. I love all the music. Like I said, except for that last song, which I still like. I'm just, I'm waiting for it to grow on me. I've heard the rest of the soundtrack so much because I love the play so much that the new song does stick out as a little bit problematic to me at the moment, but I don't think it's horrible and I think it will grow on me, probably. Um, But other than that, I really love all the songs. I think that the way that they've added in the acting for the circus scenes and the way that that it's sort of fantastical with the dream sequences being added into the real world is all very good. I think it's fabulous. I think it all works so well. The missteps with the timing of it and really the only things that are standing out to me now as things that I don't like are the sort of weird change of timing for the parents. And I feel like that was just to save time. They wanted to make it quicker, but they changed the timing around of when, um, when Matilda's parents are leaving and heading off to Spain and stuff so that she finds out before her last day where she has a whatever off with the trunchbull. I think that's weird. I'm assuming they did it for time, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I don't understand why they did that. Um, And then the other big scene that is sticking out to me right now is that one at the beginning where they have the like truant officer or whatever come and say, you know, fine them for not sending her to school. And Miss Honey is for some reason with him. That's a strange scene to me, too. I don't quite get it why that was necessary. I don't think it was um but other than that i think everything was pretty fabulous oh and the bruce thing i still don't like the bruce the, you no, know, the character the kid playing bruce is fabulous i love him but why did they make him wear the stupid fat suit thing like it literally looks like they put a pillow under a sweater it's so bad i don't understand why that was necessary either hire a fat actor or do a better job with the fat suit or just let the kid be skinny i don't i don't understand why the really, really poorly done fat suit thing needed to be done. It's so obvious obviously bad. Like, again, it looks like child theater production where they just put a pillow on a kid to make him look fat under a sweater. It's for like how well done everything else was and how vis- good visually everything else was. It just stood out as a sore thumb, bad thing. The kid was a beautiful dancer, had a great voice, acted beautifully. None of that was a problem. I'm not trying to say anything bad about the kid who played the part at all. The actor. He was fabulous. But why the hell did they just put a freaking pillow under a sweater? Why? It's so bad. Um, But other than that, I thought visually it was fabulous. Um, I thought the kids were all such great dancers. When they had the big group scenes where the kids are dancing all over the school, all of those were fabulous. I just had a really fun time with this show. I think the music's so good. I'm gonna say, might be controversial, but I'm still like the Broadway version better. I would still prefer it to see the live actors on the stage. I think it's a better version. Um, but I think that I'd be hard pressed to find any movie version I like better than the actual play version. I just, that is my preference. I prefer the live stage version pretty much always um, of any versions that I've seen of like Broadway shows turned into movies. I never think the movie is as good. And I think probably the reason is that the plays are usually longer. And so they cut things for the movies. That's one of my big pet peeves. If we ever talk about Cinderella, I love the Roger and Hammerstein Cinderella. Um, And there's some great movie versions, including like the brandy one fabulous, but they cut the whole like subplot and a bunch of songs. And like the play is so much better than what they turn it into for the movie version. They cut so much. It kills me. I want them to like, just make a movie and keep all of the plot and the songs from the freaking play. I understand you have to change little things cause it doesn't work, but like, why would you cut in the entire subplot and just make this movie sim- movie so much simpler plot wise? That doesn't, I mean, that's a whole different subject because <laughs> I have a lot to say about Cinderella. I love it so much. It's what um the title of this podcast is named after. It's a song from Cinderella in my own little corner. Love it so much. But the movies, again, are fabulous. But why do they cut so much? So sad. Anyway, back to Matilda, which is what I'm technically supposed to be talking about today. Um, I do think the play is better, like going to watch the Broadway version. But if you don't have access to that, this movie is fabulous. And even if you do, this movie is still fabulous. Definitely worth watching. But when I'm ranking it, I would prefer to see the Broadway version And I think it really does come down to the things that they cut and some of the things that they changed probably for timing or to make the movie shorter that I just don't think work as well as what the play version, how that works. Might also be just my preference. I love seeing live theater, so maybe I just like that better. But that is where I'm at right now is that I do think that this movie is fabulous and I love it, but it is not quite as good as the Broadway version. And that is my final answer so that is all i've got for you today i highly recommend you go out and watch netflix's matilda it is fabulous i also would highly recommend you go out and watch the broadway version if you if it is still a traveling show around somewhere i am not honestly do not know if it is still playing anywhere but if it is go watch it it's so good um and other than that i guess that's it i am ready to go I've already blabbered on quite enough, probably. Um, But yeah, I love Matilda. I love the movie. I love the play. All good things. And I will see you next time with whatever I'm going to be talking about. I can't keep track of what's going on anymore. But hopefully something. See you then. Bye! Yes, um, just wanting to jump back in at the very end here because I had something that I forgot or didn't talk about that I want to. Um I'm not going to pretend like I came up with this by myself, but I was watching a review by Lena Norms on YouTube. Um, I think her YouTube channel is just Lena Norms. She's great. Go watch her. Um, but she did a review of Matilda as well, and she was comparing it to the 1996 version, which I love. Um, And she came up with one specific point in her video. I mean, her video had a lot of great points, but the one specific one that really hit me is something that I missed and didn't talk about that. I felt the need to come back and add this piece into the podcast is the fact that in the um, musical version here, the movie on Netflix, Matilda doesn't save herself. So in the original book and in the nineties movie, matilda is the one who comes up with the idea that miss honey should um adopt her and she sets it up she figures it out and that's part of that timing thing like i i talked a lot about how i didn't enjoy the timing of how they did the wormwoods trying to leave but i think now with her saying that I feel like I can articulate it better that maybe the reason that that timing feels so wrong is it takes away Matilda's agency because in the end of all the other version of the 90s version of the play version the Broadway stage show version and the book we separate out Matilda's um, triumph over the trench bowl and helping the school and then her saving her own situation and getting away from her parents. So in that sense, we see Matilda help save the trench Trunchbull. And then we see time passing specifically in the play version. We see, I don't even know how much time, but we really see some time passing. I think in the movie it's pretty quick, but we still see like there's time passing. She has made school so much better and has helped all this stuff, but she, her home life is still crap. Um, and I don't know that we get a specific like timeline of how much time passes. We just kind of have this moment of time has passed. And then the Wormwoods are leaving and she's able to set up this time, um, set up the situation where she's going to get adopted by Miss Honey. Now in the stage play, I don't think that Matilda really, um, I will have to go back and look. I'm not sure whether in the stage play Matilda gets to be the one to say, hey, can I stay with Miss Honey or whether Miss Honey brings it up. Um, but in the musical movie, it's obvious it's Miss Honey who does it. Miss Honey brings up the idea. Matilda is just going to quietly walk away with her, them and not fight for her own life at all. And um, that is very different than the 90s. And I think the original book where she where Matilda is the one who has this idea and in the stage version i think if she doesn't um is if, if it isn't her idea to do the actual adoption she still has a lot more agency in that she's the one who deals with the russian mafia and like knows russian and is able to save her family and keep her fa- family from being killed in the moment and a- to allow them to even run off so she still like gets to save her family um in the musical or in the movie the netflix movie the way that they've changed the timing of everything and the way so matilda doesn't get to save her family from the mafia because we never actually see them for real they're just talked about off off screen um and the way that it's right after she saves the school like literal minutes after the trench wall has run away her parents show up and are like gonna grab her and go to the the airport (laughs) And then she's just going to meekly walk away and say, I don't have any choice in this. (sighs) Yeah, it just really, as Lena Norms was saying, it seems out of character for Matilda. It doesn't work right for her to just kind of meekly be going when she spent this entire movie talking about how basically, you know, her big song, sometimes you have to be a little bit naughty, like you have to take things into your own hands, you have to be, you know, She's like, nobody else is going to make it right for me. Sometimes you have to be a little bit naughty. Like basically her whole song is about being a protagonist in your own story and making things happen in your own story. And that's what makes this musical so great is Matilda is like knowingly becoming the protagonist of her own life. And it's fabulous. And it's kind of sad that they take that away from her and the end of the movie. And so the end... I haven't known how I felt about the ends, and I feel like I've said that a few times already. That I wasn't clear on my own thoughts about the ending of this movie. The song is pretty, I like that she ends with Miss Honey, but the idea that she doesn't get that agency is sad. And it and I... Yeah, now that, now that I had that sort of articulated for me, I felt like I needed to come and share that on here as well, so... I'm sorry for this little addition at the very end, if anybody's actually going to listen to it. If you don't, well, then you're not going to hear this, but whatever, it's fine. Um, But I really just wanted to add that in because I think it's a lot. It's a big important thing that Matilda has that agency of being able to be her own protagonist and save her school and save Miss Honey and then save herself Um, and really have that choice. Now, she does get the choice in that she gets to say, yes, she wants to stay with Miss Honey in this movie, but she isn't the one who comes up with the idea. And that seems very strange that Matilda wouldn't come up with the idea because she is definitely much more the type of person who would. Now, maybe in this movie, they're trying to give Miss Honey more of a journey of, like, they took away her pathetic song, though. So that would be part of that journey if they were trying to give Miss Honey more of a journey of you know, being able to stand up for herself more. And I do think that that's something they give her more in the movie than they have in the um, 90s version or in the book, where Miss Honey is just this pure, innocent soul who can't really stand up for herself. And that's why Matilda has to protect her. And there's kind of that juxtaposition of Miss Honey being perfect in so many ways, quote-unquote. But she is not able to protect herself and matilda you know having sometimes you have to be a little bit naughty you don't have to be perfect like miss honey and she is able to then give herself take care of herself and protect herself um so here i think they're almost giving miss honey a little bit more agency of miss honey learning that she needs to protect herself and she's the one who tells the trench bowl to run um And so maybe that's the idea that we're trying to give Miss Honey a little bit more of that. But I I feel like it's kind of sad to steal some of that ability from Matilda just so that we can give it to Miss Honey. I don't know whether this extra piece actually needed to be here or if it adds anything to the podcast. But I'm going to leave it in because it's just my rambling thoughts um, about the ending and how it is a little sad that Matilda has lost that chance to get to come up with the idea of the adoption and instead it's miss honey's idea and i don't think i like that change even though i don't know that i really noticed it until um i until lena norms actually pointed it out i just noticed that i didn't like the ending as much so maybe this is why anyway i think i should be actually for reals done this time happy new year and see ya bye